We're in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31, and then we'll be reading from uh, Colossians a bit later on as well. So Colossians chapter 1 there, so if you want to keep your finger in that spot. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. The God made the wild animals. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then he said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In his image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And we flip over to Colossians, which is uh, page 1829 in the Black Bibles. And we're starting at verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him... All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He was before all things, and in him all things hold together. Thanks so much, Paul, and uh, great to be with you again today. I thought I'd just briefly, Phil already um, gave us an idea of where we're heading in this series, but I thought I'd just sketch it out really briefly before we look again at Genesis chapter 1. Uh, so last week what we did was we, we kicked off Genesis chapter 1 and we're introduced uh, to the Creator God, the one who made everything, and that reveals his very nature, his purposes, uh, his sovereign rule, his goodness, all those things came very clearly out of Genesis chapter 1. Today we come to the question of the image of God. That is, we're focused on uh, what we're made to be like as people. Uh, What's God's intention for us? Uh, Next week, what we're going to do is move into the whole question of work and rest. Uh, That is, we're created for work, and we see that today, but we'll see it again next week. Uh, But also we're told that God rests, and there's a sense in which we're called into that rest. How do those two things work together? And I think that's the struggle that most human beings have. That is, how do we both work and rest? How does that fit? Where are we going? On the uh, fourth week, 
uh, we'll come back and we'll look at the whole question of uh, gender and particularly the nature of uh, marriage and the marriage debate. And that's quite a controversial uh, issue here in Australia over the last 12 months. What we want to do is take a step back into the scriptures and see the way in which God has made us and what does that look like, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter 3 is obviously a fairly significant turning point in the Bible where people reject God and there's an issue. I'll, I'll touch on that today, but we don't quite get there in this series, all right? Um, you intuitively know what Genesis 3 is about, that is, you're all sinful. Uh, so you, you have a, a, a some understanding of that. It'd be worthwhile to getting into that, but we're not going to this series, okay? So God the Creator, what are we like, made in His image, work and rest, the marriage debate. That's, that's where we're going. If you want to get ready, a um, great way to do that, I think, is particularly to read through Genesis 1 to 12. That is, and read that through, keep reading that through, and see the way in which the patterns emerge throughout that section of the Bible. Okay? We're going to go to Genesis 1. It'd be great to have it open in front of you. And as we start, let me, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we, we step here in these opening words of the scripture they introduce us to you uh, they tell us what you're like they tell us uh, about ourselves uh, why you've made us our purpose they give us a sense of our connection to all of creation and they also introduce us uh, in a significant way to our purpose as we live into the future uh, father we pray that you'll Help us to hear what you say to us, that uh, your voice will stand out above the voices and that you'll keep shaping us and our understanding so we get to know you better and therefore get to know ourselves better. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we any different to, to animals? Uh, the band, the Bloodhound Gang, they're uh, American punk rockers, alternative hip-hop. I just listen to these guys all the time, you know, <laughs> if you understand. But they, um, they sang a song, released a song called The Bad Truth. And the chorus in it goes like this. You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do like they do on the Discovery Channel. Okay? Now, inbuilt into that, obviously, is a worldview about what we're like, how we're made. Now, you may not think... Um, going to a punk rock group is the place you'd like to go to understand yourself. You know, this may not be the, the philosophical peak of our universe in order to get understanding about who we are. But can I say that these guys, all they're doing is reflecting uh, leading academic intellectuals of both the 20, 20th and the 21st century. Uh, they're just picking up on a key idea that's not their own. Uh, Professor... Peter Singer, he's a professor of bioethics at Princeton University, born in Australia, so Australian uh, by background. He is a brilliant evolutionary biological ethicist. Right? Uh, and he is, he's an extraordinarily smart guy who's spoken into the whole question of where mankind fits, human beings fit, when it comes to our identity and where we sit in the created order. Now, he argues that humanity, human beings, are no different from any other animal in this world. Uh, he says, just like uh, you or I would be opposed to racism in all its, its virulent forms, he says to argue that human beings are different from animals 
is to be specist. That is, to, to value one species over another and that there's no basis for doing that. And so, um, if you've read any of his material or seen some of his articles, his argument essentially is to look and see how valuable animals, uh, human beings are, or animals, uh, to the created world. And as soon as you lose your usefulness, uh, he would argue that's a good time to euthanise. Right? Now, if you're euthanising people, you should do it in a polite way, in a friendly way, a plenty-free way. That is, you should care for creation. But nonetheless, his thinking is that low utility uh, means low value, which means dispose of. Now, it has all sorts of implications uh, for the way in which we think about creation and life and people. Right? This is not a, you know, a radical voice crying in the wilderness that no one believes. This guy is a leading academic in a leading academic institution in our world. Right? He has written the textbook on ethics for lots of 101 university courses in ethics. Right? This guy is listened to. So are we nothing more than just animals? And you and I both know that, that humanity is an enigma. Right? We have extraordinary capacity uh, for love and generosity and care and compassion. And yet on the other hand, we are far more evil than any other animal that has ever been created. We are responsible for massive destruction in terms of world wars. Uh, you can point to hotspots of genocide in places like Cambodia or Rwanda. Uh, you know that this terrorist acts like the Twin Towers. But you also know that more people die of starvation in our world in a week than were killed in the Twin Towers disasters. Uh, humanity uh, is far worse than the rest of the animal world, and yet far, far greater. Now, as I said before, uh, to really get your head around that, you need to go through to Genesis 3 and see the way in which people distance themselves from God. Uh, that, that explains the nature of the human heart and the way in which it works itself out. What I want to do today is I want to largely stick in Genesis chapter 1 and think about the way in which God has made us, that is, his intention uh, in making us and how he views us as created beings. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. Great to have it open in front of you as we look at it together. When you um, come to this chapter and you think about the nature of human beings and the way God has made us, it is really clear that we are the apex of God's created order. Uh, that's obvious in a whole range of ways. That is, God is obviously the hero. He is mentioned 35 times. Uh, seven is a significant number in uh, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here we have God mentioned 35 times. Five times seven. Uh, he is the one who initiates everything. He's responsible for everything. He creates out of nothing. He is the architect of all things. And his creation reveals his goodness, his nature, and his purpose. All right? that, that's the God that we've been introduced to. What you know at the end of uh, Genesis chapter 1 is this world is no um, random accident in a 
chanceless, you know, chance sort of universe. It, you know, like we're not just sort of here uh, by the occasion of atoms accidentally colliding with each other. We are here because God has created with purpose and intention. When you come to Genesis chapter 1 and you focus on people, uh, we come at the end of a sequence of creative activity and it is obvious that we are the point of it all. Uh, That is, under God, here is the focus for this chapter. And there are a whole lot of clues in this chapter that point you in this direction before you get to the statement about being made in the image of God. Let me highlight this for you. One of the reasons I'm doing this is because I think our temptation when we read through these early chapters of Genesis is to treat them like a Sunday school story. And can I say they are far from it. Um, The great ones of literature in our world point to the intricacies of the way in which this is written. And the whole way in which it is written points us to the content of the message. Let me try and illustrate why this is an extraordinarily, amazingly crafted uh, bit of work. Uh, Human creation, um, sorry, non-human creation here in this chapter focuses on its relation to humanity in a whole range of ways. Uh, So, for example, plants uh, are mentioned in this chapter they're not described in terms of biological terms or the way in which they function in the created order, but by their relationship to people, right? Uh, Plants that get harvested, for example. The moon is there in this ancient world. Uh, The moon would have been seen as an alternative deity. Uh, Here, the moon is not even named, less a lot. God is totally in control of this. But it only exists there to mark off seasons and the calendar to help us know, as people, how we live in this world. Animals are defined by their relationship to us as well. When you get to the sixth day, it's, um, for those of you who are musicians, it's like you hit the, um, a key change that is meant to focus your attention, either on the big point or to delve into a significant point. That, I have no musical bone in my body, but I understand the key change is there for a reason in a song. It's not just because the musicians hit the wrong note, right? It's trying to get us somewhere. When you get to the sixth day, it's like we hit a key change in the way in which the, uh, the narrative flows. There's a slowdown. More words are devoted to the sixth day than any other day. We want to spend time on this day. On the sixth day, there's a distinction between animals and humanity. Um, Verse 24, uh, God says, let the earth bring forth creatures. When you get to verse 26, though, and we're talking about humanity, notice what's said there. God says, let us make man. Now, I think that's a reference to the Trinity, is Father, Son, and Spirit that gets, gets unfolded later. But, but God is saying we, mankind is created for a relationship with himself and there's a speaking that occurs in that way. Even the, um, the structure of the sixth day puts emphasis on human beings. Often in literature, you put your main point in the middle and you capture it with bookends. Uh, this this uh, uh, section of the... The Genesis 1, the sixth day, what we have are verses 24 and 25 talking about animals. 
we come back to the animals in 29 to 30, and in the middle, uh, verses 26 following, the centrepiece of humanity. Even the selection of particular words uh, is there with emphasis. Uh, we know chapter 1 is all about God creating the heavens and the earth, but there are two different words that are used throughout this chapter. Uh, it's translated in our English Bibles. One is made and one is create. And those are selected with deliberateness. So you go to verse 27, and we're told God created mankind. He created them. He created them. Uh, but you go back to verse 25, and we're told that God made the wild animals. Now, the, at this point, the guy just wasn't looking for variation in words when it was written. Right? There's, there's a distinct content, content difference between those two words in the Hebrew. Uh, and to explain it, it's a bit like if I, um, if I make my bed, right, I have no particular attachment to the making of my bed, right? it's just it gets done. But I take it when Sam wrote that children's song, even though maybe he doesn't see himself as a children's song writer that we just sang, he created the song. I mean, he didn't just make it. Right? There's, there's more of himself invested in the whole process uh, and the importance of it. That's what's going on here. At the start of the chapter, we're told God creates. And then in verse 27, we're told God creates and uses the create word three times to emphasise his investment in humanity. One other time in the chapter, creates used, that's of the great sea creatures, the great sea monsters, right? And I take it the reason why creates used at that point is because the Jewish nation feared water and they feared sea monsters. And what they're being told here is, it's okay, God made them too. He is an authority over them, right? It's, that is, he has control over it. When you get to humanity, it says God created mankind, created them, created them. We are special. We have a unique place in the scheme of God in this world. Now, there's some of the clues. There are lots of others, but some of the clues that just point you, drive you to understand... Uh, who we are in the purposes of God and how significant we are. But then we come to verse 27 and the special place of humanity is just made totally explicit. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean? to be created in the image of God. See, when I jumped up here today, was your immediate thought when I got up? Were you thinking, yeah, Paul Harrington reminds me so much of God, right? I suspect not, you know. Um, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Now, there's lots of speculation that's occurred on this one over the years. Uh, Chris picked up on some of that earlier. Uh, the whole question of physical appearance, uh, intelligence, the ability to reason, personality, uh, and unique capacity for developing relationships in different ways. But let me ask you, what, what does Genesis 1 actually tell us is unique about us being the image? There's certainly a relational dimension that's brought out, both with God and with one another, 
uh, as I said, in a couple of weeks' time, I'll come back to the question of male and female. Uh, it's a significant point that we're being told we're created male and female. Uh, animals are created, but we're not told they're created male and female. Isn't that interesting? But human beings are, and that's for a deliberate purpose. We'll come back to that in a couple of weeks' time. But also, there's a strong sense in which there's a relationship established between God and ourselves, uh, a unique one that's captured here in terms of image. Notice back in verse 22, uh, when talking about the fish of the sea, we're told God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. When you come to verse 28, and we're talking about humanity, notice the subtle difference in wording there. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now again, this is a, a deliberate variation to point up the difference between the way in which God relates to his creation in general and but relates to humankind. Uh, he speaks to us in a direct way. There's the anticipation of personal relationship. But notice also, there's that focus or the instruction on having dominion, um, ruling over and subduing the world. You pick it up in verse 26 where it talks about having dominion or in verse 28 when rule and subdue come up. Humankind are entrusted with an extraordinary privilege but also uh, a very big responsibility to partner with God in this world, to represent him in this world as his uh, ambassadors, as his emissaries. God's created the world well. Uh, it is a wonderful world. It is beautiful. It has utility. It has purpose. And we are the superintendents that are put in place uniquely in order to manage it. Partner caretakers is how we describe it. What I want to do for just a few moments, just as we wrap up our time together, is to explore some of the, the implications of what it means to be made in the image of God, uh, just to draw out something of what we see here. The first is, and if you've got the outline in front of you, you'll see the, there is a dignity and value uh, that God gives to all that he has created in his image. Um, at the start of the Bible... It is clear here, God gives us a unique place in his creation. We're not just the result of, you know, a random throw of an evolutionary dice. That's not who we are. God is the one who imbues us with value. And Peter Singer, he says, yeah, human life, no more value than your pet dog or your chicken. Right? That's basically where we sit in the scheme of things from his perspective. And he says, therefore, we should make decisions about how we use our resources, giving that equality of value. He's not saying we're not different, but we're just one of a number of species. So his thinking is that as soon as we lose some of that utility, uh, when it gets to a certain point, then dispose of. Do it gently, kindly, but nonetheless reflect that. 
It's interesting that um, Peter Singer's mum came down with Alzheimer's around the turn of the century. And she had made her views clear to her children that if she went down that road, she wanted to be euthanized. Uh, but Peter Singer and his sister couldn't bring themselves to do it. When uh, Singer is a public figure, so you can't get away with that, he was actually interviewed and asked why, when it came to his mother, he hadn't followed through on his publicly stated strong theories in this area. And this was his explanation in this interview. He said, when it's your mother, it's different. <laughs> now, that wasn't the height of profound intellectual pursuit at that point, uh, but it was very real, wasn't it? But as even intuitively, he knew that human beings are created with a value and a worth. We think differently about humanity, about people, because of what God says to us, because of the way in which God has made us. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no basis for any sense of elitism or intellectualism or, you know, looking, distinguishing between people based on what they do or how they look or how they dress or how much money they have or where they live or... You see, we are, we are all created in the image of God and we all have equal value. If you've got your Bibles there, I want to, can I just get you to flick to the New Testament just briefly? Because this idea of the, the dignity of humanity and the way in which it's linked to the nature of God himself comes out really clearly, I think, in just a couple of verses in James chapter 3. James chapter 3 in the New Testament, just past Hebrews, if you're searching for it. Um, this chapter has a lot on the way in which we speak to one another. And what, what the author does is he links the way in which we speak to each other uh, with the way in which we speak to God. And he, he says there should be a consistency between the way in which we both speak to God and one another because we are made in the image of God. Therefore, there should be a correspondence. You can't treat one as holy and not the other, if you like, or sacred and not the other. Look at the verses with me. It's, it's uh, James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. How can you praise God and curse the one he's created with any degree of consistency? Because we are created in the image of God, the one who made us. See, it, it speaks into the way in which we treat one another. Now, uh, my guess is, if I say, do you, do you discriminate against people uh, for any reason? You would say, no, of course not. You know, I'm a liberal-minded Australian living in the hills in 21st century. You know, of course not. I don't think that way. I'm not a racist. You know, I'm not a. Yeah. And and probably 
for the most part, many of us, especially if you've been followers of Jesus for a while, have worked this one through. But my guess is that there will be subtleties that have infused your thinking, that have shaped the way in which you operate. Um, in this sort of context, my guess is that we probably think in a subtle way that your education is indicative of your value as a person. Or that is, the amount you invested in your kids getting the best possible education they could so they could be something. So they don't have to be something because they already are something. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are those sort of Western um, elitist ways of thinking that just creep into our minds and into our hearts. And it's not just the education course because it's so important that we get the job which provides the income to provide the lifestyle to, to, to those sort of things at that level are likely to be the values that completely cut across what we've been taught here in Genesis chapter 1. Or swing it differently. Um, uh, when you're, uh, say, in the city at points and you're walking past a destitute beggar, uh, now you may, you may feel nervous perhaps or something like that, but how do you find yourself thinking about that person's value as a human being? Are they made in the image of God? Yes, they are. Or maybe uh, if you're in a spot where there are a lot of Aboriginal men sitting around drinking and drunk, maybe that's the time where you slip into a, a racism and you find your heart bending in that direction. I'm not saying they're not all real issues, but I am asking us to recalibrate based on what God says in his word about the value of people he has made and the dignity with which they should be treated. Uh, God has made us in his image. What we have here also are the, um, I think, the seeds of a right understanding of how we live in the created order. And not just the way we treat people, but how we think of the whole of creation. The last... Um, 50 years or so, there's been an enormous environmentalist movement. And in fact, many uh, of those who, who've written from a Greens perspective are highly critical of Christians and the way in which Christians think about the world and would argue that a Christian way of thinking tends to put ourselves at the apex and allow us to pillage the created order. And the words like in Genesis 1 here, like rule or subdue, or um, they, they tend to pick up on those words and they say, ah, oh, see... Um, you think of the created order as a place you can rape for your own advantage, that, that sort of thinking. Now, can, can I just say that what we're being entrusted with here, that idea of ruling and subduing, is a caretaking idea. That is, we're meant to look after the world and people the way God has intended it to be looked after. That is, he creates the world good, 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 very good, and he creates us to look after the world, the good, 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 very good world. And we're meant to take our responsibility for that and exercise the wisdom that God has entrusted to us. Now, let me say, you read through the Bible, you get to Genesis 3, and you realise that the whole created order has been mucked up 
by our rebellion against God. So there's an issue there that needs to be dealt with. I don't want to really get into that now. But what I'm saying is that Christians are the ones who actually have a worldview that is holistic. That is, we understand God's purposes for the created order and our role in caring for the created order and people as part of that created order and that we are to exercise wisdom under God to properly superintend this world uh, for the honour of God and the communication of what God is like to other people. I don't think anyone else in the world has any sort of coherent idea of how to do that at all because they start off with a sealed world created order view. Right? And that'll just fall to the ground because that's all there is. We have both the world, the God who made the world, and the God who has an, an intention for the new heaven and the new earth. You see, we are, the, we are the ones who are able to actually think through this better than anyone else. And we ought to. Right? There's no place for us being regarded as environmentalist vandals right? because uh, that is not what we're entrusted to do. Then the final point I just want to make as we conclude our time together is when you read through this chapter and you see that we're made in the image of God, then you understand that the key to our identity, our purpose in this world, is to actually understand and maintain a relationship with the God who made us. Uh, That just flows logically at this point. Now, I am, as far as I can tell in this respect, a very typical man. Right? That is, when I go and buy flat-packed furniture from Ikea, I bring it home, I unpack it, I put the instructions to one side, and I assume that I'll be able to make this without any information at all. And what I discover normally is that I'm much more efficient than the manufacturers. Right? Because at the end of the process, I have screws and bolts left over, as well as pieces of lumber. You know, that's, that sort of thing. When you come here to Genesis 1... Uh, it is so clear that we have a creator God who has made a world for a relationship with himself, asked for a relationship with himself, and asked to superintend this world. And as soon as we put him to one side, it all gets completely mucked up. It's uh, corrupted in a profound sort of way. And you'll know that the storyline of the Bible picks up on the fact that we're, we're created for a relationship with God. Genesis Genesis 3, we reject it. And from Genesis 3 through the rest of the Bible is all about the sorting out of that problem. That's really what we're dealing with. When we come uh, and consider the storyline of the Bible, instead of living as the true image of God, the true image bearers, what you discover throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament is the fact that we swap images and instead of being the image of God, we look for other images to substitute for God that lead us down a garden path. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says about this whole issue of uh, idolatry, false images of God. With whom will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metalwork cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple over. Now, you pick up the the mocking in the voice of the prophet. 
You see, he says, instead of worshipping the true and living God, what you do is you take stuff that this God has made, you form it into a, an image that can't move, you decorate it nicely, or if, you, if you're a bit poor, then what you do is you get a log of wood, right, and you get one that's flat on the bottom so that once the craftsman's finished, it doesn't fall over, you know. And the prophet is saying, how crazy is this? The living God who made everything in this world, and you take what he's made and you start worshipping it. You worship the creation rather than the creator. I mean, how brainless is that? It is just folly. And yet, what we're told in the Bible is this is the pattern of humanity. This is our tendency. You put the relationship with God to one side and what you find yourself doing is searching for God. And if you're searching for God, you'll be totally confused about who you are because you're made in the image of God. It just all falls to the ground. And you might say to me, ah, look, sure, I get the point, ancient Near Eastern world, um, the prophet Isaiah, they were very primitive people, you know. But we're not like that, are we? We wouldn't do that. And in fact, we probably have a certain sophistication we apply to it. But listen to what the writer of Colossians says. We heard it just a few moments ago. Colossians 1, verse 15. In speaking about Jesus, it says, sorry, no, let me go back. Colossians 3, verse 5, talking about not being as primitive as the ancient world. Colossians 3, verse 5 says, greed is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. See, here's the contemporary 21st century Western way, Australian way of thinking about idolatry. We take the created order, stuff, and we devote ourselves to it. And we think that meaning comes through the acquisition of it. And that is futile. It is folly. It's misplaced. What Colossians, though, is driving us to realise is that instead of exchanging the true and living God for idols, we need to be remade in the image of God. That is, we need to be redeemed. In Colossians chapter 1 that we heard read just a few moments ago, that storyline of the Bible reaches its crescendo on Jesus, who we're told is the image of the invisible God. Picking up on this image language of Genesis chapter 1. See, who's, who's the true human being? It's Jesus. God who becomes one of us and he demonstrates what it means to live fully as the image of God. You want to know what you're destined to be like or what you should be like? Well, here you have the Son of God who comes into the world for that purpose. But also, Jesus' quest is to redeem people into this right relationship with God, the recovery of image through the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of that relationship. In chapter 1, verse 20 of Colossians, it reads like this. uh, Jesus is the one who makes peace through his blood shed on the cross. Well, uh, you and me, nothing but mammals, You can't see it that way uh, when you read that we are made in the image of God. Can I say that um, when it comes to the search for identity and purpose and meaning, uh, it's 
it's an epidemic thing in our world. People are constantly doing it. But I want to suggest to you that it's actually impossible to understand your purpose or your identity or your meaning unless you're a Christian. It's actually impossible unless you know who God is. And the only way you can know who God is is by having a relationship with him through Jesus, uh, the true image of the living God who comes to restore that relationship. Now, that puts us in an extraordinarily privileged but not arrogant position. There's no arrogance in being Christian, but there is amazing privilege. You know that in Genesis chapter 1, but you know it if you've been remade in the image of Jesus and you continue to be remade, for you have security and foundations and a basis for understanding who you are and God's purpose for you in this world. It's an extraordinarily high calling that we have and an extraordinary responsibility to live in service of other people in this world. Very privileged. Let me pray for this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, you are the God who has made everything, but you have made us in your own image. You've endowed us uh, with a sense of knowing our relationship with you and our purpose in living in that relationship. Father, we know we turn our back on that, and yet you and your mercy and kindness still pursue us in your Son, the one who comes as the true and living image, uh, the one who speaks to us about what it means to be human, but more than that, what it means to be in relationship with you, the one who redeems us for that purpose. And Father, we pray that you help us to keep discovering this reality in our lives, uh, that you'll, in your kindness, keep shaping us and directing us in your ways. And we ask it in the name of your Son. Amen.